Shalom, and welcome back to another episode of Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz. So Israeli elections are around the corner yet again, and things are starting to take shape as uh, Israel enters 2021. Um, and I'm happy to be joined today by a regular on Israel Policy Pod and a great analyst when it comes to Israeli elections, Neri Zilber. Neri is a journalist based in Tel Aviv. He's an adjunct fellow at the Washington Institute as well. Neri, great to have you on again. How's it going? Uh, it's great to be back. And yeah, all things considered, going okay. Good to hear. Let's get right into it. A lot has happened, even in the last few hours, but in the last 24 hours for sure, a lot has happened when it comes to these Israeli elections. Things are starting to take shape. Last week, or was it maybe even two weeks ago, we had uh, Gidon Saar, big news on the right. He announced his uh, party, A New Hope, with uh, Yifat Shasha Biton, and we've had Zev uh, Elkin, a prominent uh, Likud minister, leave uh, the Likud party and join Saar's new adventure, along with another list of MKs. Let's maybe start by talking about what's going on uh, on the Israeli right, because in the polls that we've seen recently, uh, most of the seats are on the Israeli right, split between three parties, Netanyahu's Likud, Gidon Saar's New Hope, Party and Naftali Bennett's Yamina Party. What is your take on uh, Gidon Saar? His party has been doing well in the polls, jumped to the second largest party. Um, do you think that's more of a the, the excitement surrounding the Saar announcement and people looking at uh, an alternative to Netanyahu? Or is it something significant? And does he really have an opportunity here to maybe even become Israel's next prime minister? Well, yeah, like you said, a lot going on even just in the short time uh, from which elections were called. This is round four in the space of two years. Uh, but this time I think it'll be different. Uh, you mentioned Gidon Saar uh, leaving the Likud and forming a new party on the right. Uh, he got the defection, like you said, of Zev Elkin, uh, Netanyahu, hatchet man and confidant, uh, who very publicly split uh, with the prime minister. So there's a lot going on on the right. Uh, there's also a lot going on on the left, uh, which we'll probably get into in a minute. Uh, but I think a good way to think about this round four is that if the previous three rounds were basically the yes BB and no BB camp, uh, yes to Netanyahu and, and no to Netanyahu, uh, this time the the waters are a bit more a bit more muddied. Uh, so you have fracturing in the right. You have definitely fracturing on the left, uh, but the lines aren't as clear as they used to be. Uh, so someone like Saar, who who is uh, he and his party are, are a right wing party, uh, very much so. Uh, Saar himself is is a, a true believer when it comes to to right wing ideology. Uh, he very publicly stated that he's uh, looking to topple Netanyahu, and he and he won't sit under Netanyahu. So on the right, basically, uh, the the formerly the the, the block formerly known as the Netanyahu block uh, has fractured. So it's not just Saar uh, leaving Likud and, and taking potentially votes away from Likud itself. You have the rise of Naftali Bennett uh, as well on the right. Uh, you have Vigdor Lieberman, which is these days more center-right. Uh, and then you have Netanyahu's Likud. So that, you know, in and of itself is significant. 
because if previously Netanyahu could could kind of count on this kind of right wing and ultra orthodox alliance on the right to keep him in power, uh, that no longer is a certainty. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we'll get to what's been going on with the Israeli left and the center left in a minute. We've seen in the polls that a lot of what we would cl- classify as center left voters, who many of which voted for obviously Kaholavan, uh, blue and white, Benny Gantz's party um, that still exists, but uh, it seems like it it, it, it barely does. Um, we've seen a, a lot less, of, less, yes, less and less, less and less, less and less, and we'll get into uh, his remarks and what that means. So it seems that there's like a good block of center-left voters that are considering voting for parties such as Gidon Sar's party and maybe even uh, Naftali Bennett's party. And I think that points to uh, an issue that you kind of touched on where this uh, election may not be as much about, I mean, sure, regional developments obviously play a part, but in terms of Israeli-Palestinian uh, relations or the Palestinian issue, I don't think that's going to play a role. I mean, we saw, just for example, uh, Yamina's MK's uh, Matan Kahana said that uh, annexation or implementing sovereignty won't even be a part of the next, uh, mm-hmm. not even for election, the next uh, government, because just everyone's talking about and dealing with coronavirus. Um, Israel's been one of the countries that has vaccinated uh, the highest amount of its population so far, uh, crossing half a million, just, uh, I, I believe it was two days ago. So how how does that change like the state of play in the sense that um, a lot of these parties where we traditionally talk about right-wing, left-wing when it comes to the Palestinians, two states, is that paradigm kind of shifted? Yeah, I, I think very much so. Um, I'll say a couple of things. Number one, uh, the Palestinian issue is is really a non-issue in the upcoming election. Uh, just, I think, by dint of the fact that uh, either a peace process or, like you said, annexation isn't isn't really on the table, uh, at least in the foreseeable future. Uh, you have you have a politician, Dali Bennett himself, uh, a pro-settler uh, ideologue. Uh, who says that uh, you know if it's not related to to the economy, then it doesn't interest me. Uh, and this is coming from Naftali Bennett. Uh, you have uh, similar voices coming out of Gidon Sar's new party. Uh, and I think that reflects where the Israeli public is at right now, which is uh, COVID, uh, the pandemic, and then the really the economic fallout coming from uh, the COVID restrictions that have been in place now more or less for 10 months uh, and the impact it's had on on. Uh, unemployment and small business owners and so forth. Uh, so that really is, I would say, uh, concern number one amongst the Israeli electorate. And so you could see more moderate Israeli voters uh, countenancing voting for uh, parties like Saar and like Bennett by the government's uh, mishandling, shall we say, of of uh, the COVID pandemic and, uh, and the various lockdowns. Uh, that's point number one. Point number two, um, the polls are what they are right now. Uh, a lot of uh, voters ostensibly will will go more right. I'm a bit more skeptical. I would urge a bit more caution. Um, I went back and looked uh, the other day at uh, basically the, the division of seats amongst the real kind of center-left, left-wing uh, Jewish parties, Zionist parties here in Israel. And in 2015, uh, the various left parties uh, garnered 40 seats. 
And in the previous uh, three rounds of elections over the past two years, it varied from between 40 and 45 seats. Now, in the polls, if you look at the polls just right now, uh, the left-wing parties are at about 26, 29 seats. So in theory, they're around 10, 11, 14, 15 seats, uh, left-wing voters, really, uh, that are still up for grabs. And I think eventually it'll kind of shake out uh, if the Israeli public is given uh, real and positive alternatives on the center left. Um, so I would I would put that as point number two. Um, I think it's still very early uh, in terms of judging it to be just a right-wing election. Uh, and then the final point I'll, I'll, I'll say is that uh, you know, Gideon Saar and Naftali Bennett, uh, but primarily Gideon Saar, uh, was popular beforehand. Uh, his public uh, profile, even uh, without being a minister uh, for a number of years now, uh, is very is very solid. And so people, I think, gravitate towards that for a variety of reasons, which we may get into. But uh, Saar himself personally is viewed as an attractive candidate, uh, potentially for the top spot. Uh, and on the center center left, uh, there have been a, a series of, let's say, disappointing political figures uh, in recent years. And none of them, at least for the time being, have gained real traction. And so you're seeing kind of uh, that personalized nature of Israeli politics these days uh, come into play as well. Just on your third point, can I ask you or get your take on why Gideon Sire is so popular? I mean, to me... Um, having followed his career, like from him being education minister and challenging Netanyahu. But what is it about him? I mean, he's not particularly charismatic. Um, he doesn't have a, a military uh, background, which is uh, at least often an indicator uh, in terms of uh, having potential to be a, a successful candidate. What is it in particular like about him? Because it's something that I haven't really been able to fully, fully understand. So it's a great question. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners uh, right now are, are saying to themselves, you know, who, who is Gideon Saar? Uh, I've never heard of him. He doesn't really have much of an international profile. You have to really follow Israeli politics to even know who he is. Um, you know, it's still kind of a mystery why he's as popular as he is, and, and it'll be put to the test really uh, in the March election. But as I'll say, uh, so Gideon Saar himself personally is a is a liberal Tel Aviv. Um, so he's born and raised and still lives in Tel Aviv, um, and yet he's a right wing ideologue uh, almost from a very early age. You know, he truly believes in in the whole of the land of Israel, uh, no to a peace process. Um, you know, he, as education minister, really solidified uh, the education program that that kind of uh, erased the green line between Israel proper and the West Bank. Uh, he cultivated strong ties with the ultra-Orthodox. So I think that in and of itself uh, may draw a lot of a lot of voters in the sense that he's this bridge uh, between the right and, and let's say, if not the left, then kind of more mainstream Israel as a, in the city of Tel Aviv. Uh, I think that's that's first and foremost. Uh, number two, you know, charisma in Israeli politics. I think it's a relative concept. Uh, nobody is really like Bibi Netanyahu, uh, but uh, you know, if you have a little bit of it, I think it carry you a long way. Um, all we have to do is look at Benny Gantz. Uh, not exactly the most charismatic figure, but he uh, he looks or, and, and at least for a while played the part as as a former army chief of staff too. But 
just physically, he looked the part and, and he almost, you know, that almost was enough to carry him into the prime minister's office. Uh, you know, Gideon Sard isn't that charismatic, but he, he doesn't have charisma uh, like many other senior Israeli politicians. Uh, and also on this point, I think it's important to say that, uh, you know, Saar, even from very early on in his career, cultivated strong ties with the Israeli media. Uh, so Saar himself, for a short period of time, was a journalist. Uh, and so he he knows that ecosystem uh, well. Uh, he's married to a very popular uh, TV news presenter, uh, Gula Evan. Uh, so they, they live together and, and have a family together in Tel Aviv. Uh, that helps. So he's he's well liked, I think, in in key constituencies, and that's at least for now enough to uh, to carry him uh, to carry him to at least you know second place in the polls. Very interesting. Um, let's transition to talking about what's happening in, with the center left. We'll get to Benny Gantz in a minute, but let's for a second talk about the new party and the new man on the block. You mentioned Gidon Sar being Tel Aviv. Well, we have Mr. Tel Aviv now joining the Israeli, the national scene of politics. Longtime mayor, Ron Khudai, former a famous pilot uh, in the uh, Israeli Air Force, the distinguished military career, but most known for being a very successful mayor um, mm-hmm. and one of the longest serving uh, in Israel. He announced yesterday uh, his party, he even gave it a name, very original, the Israelis, or Israelim, and he announced, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but kind of a, a second coming, or trying to kind of take the Labour Party, but without the Labour Party name, um, in a way. He also, at the same time, he announced, or he announced alongside with uh, Avi Nissenkoren, who was the justice minister, who still is the justice minister, uh, who defected or left Benny Gantz's Kaholavan party. Um, this is uh, pretty big news as well. Maybe give us your take on Ron Khuldai and this, his, him jumping into national politics. Do you think there's real electoral potential here? You mentioned um, the like 10 to 12 seats uh, that are currently, let's say, like they're. I've heard people say like they're parked on the right right now. They're in the like in the parking lot, but they'll come back mm-hmm. to the to, to, to the center left because I feel like there could be a situation where there are too many that w- would endanger these Israeli uh, center left parties. Merits now you have Khudai's party. Uh, we still have to see what's going to happen with Labor. Too many of these parties, and you could get into trouble with the electoral threshold. Um, what do you think about Israelim or the Israelis? So, uh, so Huli, like you said, launched his new party yesterday. Uh, Nissan Korn, who was the justice minister for for Benny Gantz's Blue and White, he actually resigned uh, earlier today, uh, so he's no longer justice minister. He's he's no longer in the Knesset, but he he's now Huli's uh, number two. Um, you know, look with the disintegration of Blue and White. Uh, and that started, you know, about nine nine months ago, uh, when Benny Gantz and his number two foreign uh, now foreign minister Gabi Ashkenazi uh, broke blue and white in half and entered into you know a, a unity government with Netanyahu. Um, the slow disintegration has created a vacuum on the center left, uh, and we should also mention that the Labour Party, uh, what remained of the Labour Party, also entered uh, into Netanyahu's uh, government. Uh, that did them no favors uh, in in the polls and and amongst their or like two thirds of it did right 
two, yeah, uh, two out of the three remaining labor Knesset members entered into entered into the government. That did them uh, no favors at all. So, so there's a vacuum. There's a vacuum on the center left that's now trying to be filled by various parties. Um, so, Betty Gantz and Bloom White, uh, at least for now, still intend to to run in the election, uh, despite the fact that they're polling at only about five seats, uh, very close to the to the electoral threshold. Uh, you have Yair Lapid's Yeshatid party, which is essentially leading uh, the center left camp in the polls, uh, but has failed to really kind of uh, gain momentum uh, in terms of, of uh, vying with Netanyahu's Likud for for being the, the largest party. Uh, you have Meretz, which is uh, kind of the more the more left wing party, which is also not really rising in the polls for various reasons. Uh, and into this into this uh, mix, you now have Ron Khuldai's new party, uh, the Israelis. So essentially, Khuldai is trying to at least position himself as the leader of the center-left camp. Uh, now, at the moment, according to recent polls, they only have about seven or eight seats. Uh, I thought he did fairly well in terms of launching the party yesterday uh, in classic Khuldai fashion. He was he was very aggressive, almost yelling, <laughs> uh, touting, touting, touting his credentials. Um, I just ruined the speech. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. He said, you know, this is what we're for. This is what we're not for. Uh, you know, almost a laundry list of, of issues that could be effective uh, on voters who, who want somebody who with executive experience who's actually ran and ran successfully uh, massive governmental organizations. So you have Huldai and now his number two, Avi Nissenkorn. Uh, more people may may join that party. Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, there's also a possibility that the remnants of the Labour Party, as well as Merits, could could come in under him to form this kind of super super party on the, on the left. Uh, so that would be that would be consolidation, and that would be arguably an improvement over what we have now, which is real fracturing. Uh, with with various parties, like you said, you know, at risk of of not passing the the electoral threshold, uh, which aside from the fact that it's uh, you know would be a disappointment for for center left or left wing voters, uh, it could really swing the election. So with margins this fine, and we saw it in previous rounds, uh, if you waste votes, you know, one or two seats in either direction could make or break uh, a future Netanyahu coalition, and so that's the real fear, but. But you, we still have till February fourth until the party lists need to be finalized. Uh, this is basically the opening gambit in everyone's negotiating posture, trying to rise in the polls to increase their leverage, so that other political players essentially uh, agree to come and sit under them. Right. That's really where the game is at at the moment. Right, and in that mix, you also have Ofer Shelach, who was uh, high up in uh, in Yeshatid. Right. The case of Ofer Shelach, so people who, who don't recognize the name, he he was really there at the inception of, of Yair Lapid's party, Yeshatid, and back in 2012, uh, a fairly successful center, center-left uh, party, uh, now in successive successive elections. Uh, they really brought the, the organizational and electoral weight to what became Blue and White. So Blue and White was this uh, kind of confederation of various kind of centrist parties. Uh, but Ofer Shelah left Yeshatid uh, again a few weeks ago. Uh, he had a falling out with the Lapid, I think over 
over uh, strategy. He wanted primaries at some point as well. I remember that he, and then I think this was maybe connected to that, but it was kind of in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this might be getting a bit too in the weeds, but Orfa Shelach, he, yeah. he not only was, was a co-founder of, of Yeshatid, he was a close personal friend of Yair Lapid. And so over this kind of political strategic disagreement, they had uh, a falling out and, and Orfa Shelach uh, struck out on his own last week and, and created yet another party. Uh, but again, nobody expects him to to be a real player on his own. Uh, he did this again for, um, you know, to improve his negotiating posture uh, ahead of any any potential uh, alliance with, with uh, either Huldai or Meretz or uh, whatever else comes comes down the pike. Um, so again, you know, a crowded playing field on the center left with various figures, uh, but it remains to be seen how much how much traction they have amongst the public at large uh, in terms of attracting voters. For sure. And he, I mean, he's always been viewed as on the left end of Yeshatid, for sure. So both those parties you mentioned, I think, would make, would make sense. Probably more Khudai, but, but we'll have to wait. Right. Wait and see. So uh, you talked about uh, Yeshatid not really being able to... I don't want to say like make a big signing, but uh, to to kind of find the. <laughs> I'm always thinking in, in soccer terms with you, Neri, but trying to find the the kind of the, the person that could give them a boost to really uh, become the challenger to Netanyahu, the party that challenges Netanyahu, to kind of give that that similar effect to when when Lapid and Gantz joined forces. And the name that everybody was talking about was uh, the former uh, chief of staff, Gadi Eisenkot, whose cooling off period uh, kind of came to an end, and he's uh, eligible to run in this election, though it's, it wasn't clear whether or not he could be be uh, a minister. Mm-hmm. Um, he announced that he will not be joining politics uh, this time around. Is this like a big blow uh, to the Israeli center left, and to uh, in particular to like Yeshatid's chance of being the party to challenge uh, the Likud. Uh, look, I personally believe so. Although uh, people I speak to in Yeshatid would would beg to differ, uh, they're uh, very confident in uh, where they'll end up uh, come March on election day. Uh, but I think Eisenkot undoubtedly would have been an asset uh, either to Likud or, or other. Other parties. Uh, he, as IDF chief of staff, uh, was very highly regarded, uh, not only because he was a chief of staff, but really what he did and how he conducted himself as chief of staff. Uh, and so the the decision by him, which became official earlier today, that he wasn't entering politics at least for now, uh, can be seen as a blow. Um, you know, to take your soccer. Uh, reference, uh, you know, the kind of NBA free agency period. This was this was the free agency period. This this was this <laughs> yeah. was the transfer window. I mean, and still so, is the transfer window. It closes February fourth, right? Yes, but the only problem is that the the attractive uh, free agents on the market right now are few and far between. Uh, and right. so, if you had initially, you had someone like I, um, or even you know, to a certain degree, Avinisenkorn as as justice minister, uh, leaving blue and white. Uh, you know, to join Ron Khuldai, um, Eisenkart was still up in the air. Really, the only potentially attractive signing out there is uh, former foreign minister Tsipi Livni. Uh, so, right. I, you know, out of all the names 
on the market, she she might be able to to move the needle a little bit. Uh, still an open question. A little bit. I mean, I'm a big big fan of Tipe Livni, but she comes with a left a left wing kind of. Especially in recent years, she's become more and more associated with the left in Israel. And something that Yair Lapid has kind of he's really wanted to maintain this center centrist kind of we're not left, not right. right. So. I don't know how much that works with his idea, with his way of thinking, at least. So I think this brings us back to to an earlier point. If we zoom out uh, and look at this upcoming election from a strategic point of view, uh, you don't necessarily have to poach uh, voters from the other camp. So in previous rounds, you had this major effort, especially by Blue and White, to to uh, position themselves in the center, say we're not left wing and we're, we're actually kind of a little bit right wing, and, and we're we're a good home for for real right wing voters, or, or let's say soft right wing voters. Right. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily uh, the case in this upcoming election. I don't think that's needed, uh, precisely because you have the SAR uh, impact on the electoral map. Right. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to, as a center center left block or coalition, along with the Joint Arab List have to have a majority relative to the Netanyahu block because that block doesn't exist anymore. And so you could potentially have a kind of moderate right to center-left alliance that doesn't include Netanyahu and Likud that could, in theory, get a parliamentary majority and and form a a governing coalition. And so I think the emphasis now for parties like Lapid and Huldai and even to a certain extent Benny Gantz and, and the remains of Blue and White is to uh, attract uh, base voters uh, to you. So I think it's a competition uh, within the blocks and not really between the blocks. And I think that's that's a difference from previous rounds. Right. That's a big difference. But it's still it's still contingent on promises made by, uh, like, Kiron Sar in this case, who says or said that he would not form a government with Netanyahu. I mean, how many times did Benny Gantz say that, right? So it's like... Yeah, sure. There's personal like an- animosity there between Sarah and Netanyahu, especially. But at the end of the day, yes, the the math is like different here, and the definitely like the paradigm is is different when it comes to uh, potential uh, coalitions and like the traditional right wing and like left right wing Haredi bloc, left wing center left Arab bloc. If you want to mm-hmm. include the Arabs, that's a whole other c- conversation, especially with what's happened recently. But um, you need to take Gideon Sar at his word here, right? If if we want to create that scenario, I I don't think we have any other choice but to take him at his word for the time being. Uh, but like you said, many many politicians uh, in previous rounds, and not only Benny Gantz, but also uh, Amir Peretz, who is the chairman oh. of the Labour oh. Party, his, who, the proof is shaved, on his uh, on his on his face. Uh, <laughs> right, he shaved his mustache uh, live on television. Uh, to, to emphasize to the public, read my lips, I won't sit with Netanyahu. Uh, and after the election, he he joined uh, Blue and White in, in going into a government headed by Netanyahu. So uh, this being Israeli politics, uh, things are always uh, very flexible, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but I think Saar, uh, I think both personally and politically, uh, is really gunning for Netanyahu's head uh, politically. And so, if he if he means what he says, 
uh, he may have to follow through on that um, after the election. But but again, that'll depend on how the numbers break, yeah. uh, how the various alliances uh, uh, kind of are hashed out. Uh, you know, will Saar choose kind of this more center right to center left coalition, or uh, will that be anathema to him if if he has to kind of sit with more left wing elements? Um, you know, it all depends on the numbers. It all depends on the yeah. numbers, and it remains to be seen. But but it is a concern in the sense that there is now for Netanyahu at least uh, at least two other, if not three other parties, uh, challenging him from the right. And so if you are uh, if you are a right wing voter, you have you have now options. It's not just BB or bust. Right. And obviously much harder to identify Gidon Sar as a leftist. Do you I mean you explained you explained why than it has to label Netanyahu's previous uh I mean opposition when it came to Israeli elections. And I think you're exactly right. Um maybe we can end on talking about I mean, we, we've referenced it a bunch of times already, but the demise or what what's happened to, to Blue and White, uh, Benny Gantz made remarks yesterday that, um, that his party was responsible for saving the state of Israel um, from a bunch of horrible uh, things, uh, saving Israel's judiciary, saving Israeli democracy, saving... Uh, right. Israel from annexation, being responsible for normalization, all these things. Like, the list goes on and on. We had today an announcement from Foreign Minister Gabi Ashkenazi, um, who is Gantz's uh, partner throughout and who uh, stayed with him when Blue and White broke up, obviously. He is taking a break from Israeli politics uh, or he I, I believe he said that he's taking a break and he's weighing his options kind of leaving a opportunity I mean you mentioned uh, we talked about Yeshatid for, uh, free agents maybe he could still be considered a free agent um, mm-hmm. so uh, that's uh, interesting but we've seen just like a bunch of members of Knesset uh, leave Gantz I mean it started a while ago you had like Hauser and Hendel leave like a while ago to start their own party. They've since joined uh, Gidon Tsar, but now you have Ashkenazi. We've had um, you have Nissan Korin, of course, uh, doing it in a really in-your-face kind of way. Um, and then we obviously have like Asaf Zamir, who's Minister of Tourism, who resigned and is part of the vote to, to dissolve the Knesset. I think Ram Shefa as well, also Michal Kotler Wunsch. The exodus of MKs has just from Koholavan has. I mean, I don't even know who's left. I mean, maybe Omri Akinlevich and uh, there's a few others. But, but my point is, like Koholavan has from a party that had 35 seats, which is crazy if you think about it. For the party to now be, I mean, we haven't seen the latest polls, but I assume they'll be really close to the threshold, if not below it. I'd love to hear your take on. The rise and demise of Koholavan. Does Gans deserve like credit? Like, may, does he have a case uh, here um, for for saving Israel? Or it seems like his political future is in the balance for sure. And do you think he'll even? I mean, he said yesterday that he's going to run and lead Koholavan. Do you think he's going to go through with that, even if his numbers are are where I think they'll be? What's your take? So. 
Uh, I'll tackle that in in reverse Sorry, order. That was a uh, whole lot of Kaholavan uh, <laughs> spielchist. <laughs> no, it, it's a fascinating it's a, it's a fascinating uh, story. Actually, quite a quite a sad story, and and also in many ways a predictable story. But uh, but in terms of Gantz's future, I think he's putting on a good face in in a very bad situation right now. I think he he will likely if his current poll numbers hold up, he'll likely look to uh, join up with another party just to ensure uh, the fact that the party passes the electoral threshold. Uh, in extremis, he might bow out if he, if the poll numbers are really bad ahead of, uh, ahead of the March election. Uh, and in terms of whether he has a case or not, uh, you know, his litany of, of, uh, kind of accomplishments that he laid out very angrily yesterday. Uh, I, I don't believe they, they quite hold water. Um, you know, obviously I think he and, and the people that entered into the Netanyahu government are, are at base, you know, good people. They wanted to do good, uh, but they were, they were extremely overmatched by Netanyahu and the Likud. Uh, and they made one error after another in terms of their decision-making. Uh, and so when Gantz gets up there and says that we saved the country, uh, saved it from from what? Uh, you know, the the argument that they put forward in March when Gantz made the decision, the fateful decision uh, to break apart blue and white and to enter into unity talks with Netanyahu, the argument was that we we want to avoid a fourth election. Uh, we want to save you know the the country from a needless fourth election in the middle of a pandemic. Well. Uh, a few months later, Israel is headed to a, a fourth election in the middle of a pandemic, and so that doesn't quite hold water. Uh, you know, normalization and and stopping annexation uh, happened above Gantz and Ashkenazi's heads. Uh, that had very little to do with them. Uh, that was Netanyahu and the Trump administration, uh, essentially, you know, not uh, essentially not filling uh, blue and white in at all in terms of these various diplomatic gambits. Uh, it is true that they held the line, Gantz and Nissenkorn held the line in terms of Israel's uh, judicial system and the independence of the courts and the attorney general and the state prosecutor. Uh, that I, I will give them credit for. Uh, but but again, uh, what was the cost? You know, The cost, really, if you look back at what the situation was in March, you had a party of 35 seats uh, challenging Netanyahu and Likud for uh, for top spot and essentially running the country. And they threw it all away uh, on this adventure uh, and going backtracking on, on their their vow not to sit under a prime minister Netanyahu. Uh, for what? For a few months in office. Uh, and they destroyed both uh, Blue and White, the alternative to Bibi. Uh, they destroyed their own political careers in the process. Uh, and Israel is headed to a fourth election. Uh, I, I can't really see in terms of the cost and benefit uh, that Gantz was laying out yesterday, uh, any any real upside uh, to to what they chose to do, uh, and they were warned. Uh, you know, they were warned by their partners, their former partners in blue and white, whether it was Yair Lapid or or Moshe Bogi Alon. Uh, they were warned by various uh, analysts and commentators that Netanyahu had no intention to fulfill the unity agreement with Gantz. He had no intention to vacate the prime minister post as agreed upon, and to let Gantz become prime minister. Uh, and it was very clear, if you read the unity deal that they signed, the coalition deal that they, that they signed, uh, that the clear out for Netanyahu was to not pass the budget, 
and topple his own government and in that way force another election and not have to uh, vacate the prime minister post. And that was all clear back in March and April and May. It was all there. Uh, and so Gantz and his people chose uh, not to see it. Uh, and these are the results. And so, you know, his anger was almost at, at, his, at his voters and at his critics. Uh, but I, I would argue it should be, uh, it should be pointed uh, a lot more closer to home. Right. And a quick word on free agent uh, Ashkenazi. Is he, does he still have like political clout? Do you think he's uh, uh, in the game or is he out uh, for, this, for this round? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Gabi Ashkenazi, we have to remember, had and still doesn't have any independent political platform of his own. Uh, so he was, he was jettisoned in at the last minute uh, to, to co-head Blue and White along with uh, Benny Gantz and Yari Lapid and, and Bogi Alon. And so he, he, in a very real sense, is a free agent. Uh, I think he still has stature amongst the Israeli public. Uh, he's kind of this gruff former IDF chief of staff, uh, in many respects, uh, more popular than Gantz was or is. Uh, but I, I find it hard to believe that he, he'd be willing to rejoin with Yair Lapid or, or even Huldai. Um, I think I think the timeout from politics uh, is is could be let's put it this way could be genuine, um, but but he is an opportunist, and so if there is a a, a party uh, that would want him, uh, he may he may rejoin the fray, uh, and he could have an impact. Uh, but again, his problem is similar to Gantz's, uh, which is that he he led and was a driving force uh, behind entering. Uh, Netanyahu's right, government, right. and so he'll have to he'll, he'll right. have to account for that. He'll have to account for that. Um, you know, Ashkenazi. It's interesting. He until earlier today, when he announced his uh, his timeout from politics and his leaving blue and white, he hadn't uttered uh, a political statement in two months. And so, you know, this kind of this kind of political and that's Israel's foreign minister, right? Too. So, like, that's it's Israel's foreign minister, and this kind of political maneuvering uh, shows you that, like many other uh, retired Israeli generals, uh, politics uh, might be a different type of game. For sure. So, wrapping up um, as we enter uh, the new year. What are you looking for in terms of what should people be watching in terms of Israeli election? I mean, we have that v- February 4th deadline, obviously, for for parties and for people to enter the political the political game, shall we say, in Israel. What 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 are you um what are you watching? So, right, you have the the party registration deadline on February 4th. Uh you have potentially CP Levni being uh maybe the sole remaining free agent, like we said. Uh, the various alliances on the center left and how that yeah, shakes listen, out. Yeah, listen, Avi Gabay is still out there. Avi Gabay is still <laughs> <laughs> right. Avi, Avi Gabay, the the remains of the Labour Party. Avi Gabay is uh, only on waivers. Look, I, he's going. He's on waivers. There's no. There's no go, going back. The <laughs> ten, the ten day, ten day contract. Uh, but I think it's interesting that we've we've done now almost a full podcast on on. Israeli politics in the upcoming election, and we haven't really talked about Bibi Netanyahu. And so I think the the real figure, as always, will be will be Netanyahu. Uh, he's both he remains prime minister, although Gantz is still in government and, and you know is uh, is defense minister. But really, uh, Netanyahu has a lot of ability to influence uh, to influence 
the news cycle and the narrative and really events on the ground. And so Netanyahu, what he what he chooses to do, how he chooses to handle himself will be will be a key factor, um, especially in terms of how he, he chooses to, to handle the uh, the competition from the right in terms of Gidon Sar especially. Uh, but I think the the real issue in this election might be uh, BB versus the vaccine. Right. Uh, so Israel, Israel, as you said at the top, is is leading the world now in uh, vaccinations, which is which is amazing. Uh, but uh, it might be a race between BB and uh, the health system here's ability to vaccinate the population and, and really get out of the cycle of lockdowns and and uh, kind of closures and unemployment and uh, kind of small businesses going under. Yeah, start to re- so I rehabilitate think, uh, the economy in some way, for sure. That will be a huge, exactly. huge factor. Exactly. And so if he if he can do that, if he can get close to that before March 23rd, uh, then you know his position will be will be greatly greatly strengthened, uh, and so you know the the coming you know finishing up twenty 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 now uh, with with Corona and the pandemic uh, dominating everything. I think in terms of Israeli politics, that will be a key or the key issue. Uh, and also, we we can't forget uh, with the Trump administration uh, exiting stage right and Biden. Entering the scene, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Netanyahu chooses to handle uh, that delicate relationship with a Democratic president in Washington and the the priorities that may arise uh, in terms of foreign policy for for the Biden team. And I think first and foremost, it'll be Iran and Biden's stated intention of, uh, of rejoining on some level uh, the Iran nuclear deal. So I think both COVID and Biden uh, could play an outsized role. Uh, in Israeli in Israeli politics, uh, in this now what three less than three months? For sure, for sure, and obviously, although we didn't get to to talk about everything, a lot of a lot of issues. I mean, we didn't even talk about the joint list and the challenges there, and other uh, a lot of a lot of things uh, that we could continue to talk about. But but we'll leave it uh, for, for for the next uh, time you join us, Neri, I'd like to thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, as always, for for having me on and uh, wishing you and, and everyone listening a uh, healthy and happy new year. Thank you very much, Neri. And before we end, I'd like to take a moment to thank all our listeners over the past year and all of the supporters of Israel Policy Pod and Israel Policy Forum. Only a few days remain to support Israel Policy Forum in 2020 and ensure that the vision of a Jewish, democratic, secure Israel maintains its relevance and power in the coming year. Help us welcome the new administration in the White House and the 117th Congress with credible, nuanced analysis on issues of Israeli security and two states. With your contribution, we will continue to advance regional peace and security and restore focus on the necessity of a viable two-state outcome for Israel's future. Please visit our website, www.israelpolicyforum.org, and make your contribution today. Thank you, and wishing you a happy, happy, healthy New Year. Yalla bye.